When we last left our heroes, they were locked into a terribly important discussion. Let's drop in on them again as they plot the future. Now from the Top Dog's Kennel in beautiful downtown Burbank, it's the Terrence and Philip Show. Once again, thank you so much, Gary. I'm Terrence Curran. And I'm Philip Hodgetts. And you're listening to the Terrence and Philip Show. Another episode after all this time. I was reading recently about uh, an article that was titled quite, uh, I think, controversially and designed for page views, but can Avid still innovate? Because Avid <laughs> as a company well, were very much part of the innovation that was nonlinear editing and yeah. the way where the whole Unity, shared storage, they've been incredibly important and have the awards to match mm-hmm. the, in innovation. But are they still innovating? Boy, that you're le- that's a leading question for me. <laughs> There's nowhere good this could go. Um, uh, yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, the new CEO did issue a sort of a, I guess, a white paper mission statement sort of thing a couple weeks ago about, you know, from all the research and this is their new course they're going to take integrating all these different places that people view in and whatnot. And it's, you know, it sounded like a lot of marketing mumbo-jumbo to... It seemed very not much where Avid is right now and where yes. its core business is, and it seemed to be a business that a lot of people are chasing. In a sense, it probably reminds me a little bit of Media 100, who suddenly had a nice core business in, in editing and software and hardware, mm-hmm. making good money of in-house production, uh, and suddenly decided that, oh, no, streaming is going to be hot. So they go out and they spend all this money buying up streaming companies, invest in, you know, iCanStream.tv and employed mm-hmm. friends of mine who got made good money out of it. Great for them. Happy, right, happy right, for yeah. everybody <laughs> over that. Uh-huh. But ultimately, it was that complete diversion from where they should have gone. I think you'd probably even accuse Avid of doing that with 3D instead of resolution uh, independence, perhaps. You think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but at least I can say I warned them. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting question about innovation, though, is that innovation is generally unwelcome. If it's something new that's not challenging something that exists, then it's generally openly welcome. But if it's challenging something that exists, then yeah, I can see that. If it's not challenging something exists, it's probably not innovation. <laughs> well, okay, so so for instance, the iPod kind of there wasn't really something that existed there. I mean, you could have a Walkman, but that wasn't really the same there, model. There was the whole iPod, iTunes that was that didn't exist. No, and the, the low pro, the low cost editing tool market probably didn't exist either until Final <laughs> Cut One came out. No, that's true. And you know, coincidentally and uh, fortuitously with. Uh, the advent of DV, mm-hmm. which gave us a reasonably low cost, reasonably high quality for compared with the alternatives of Super VHS and three quarter inch. Yeah, thanks to FireWire too. Yeah, FireWire was... and FireWire simplified the setup. Yeah. Instead of a power cable and a, a, a remote control cable and some audio cables and some video a video cable, video IO hardware, uh, and, and yeah. all of that's like, oh no, I just plug in the power to the the thing and the power to the computer and this one cable and it does everything. Mm-hmm. So. That was innovation. That was innovation, yes. And NLE, nonlinear editing, is, is innovation. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, has it not just been incremental development until somebody jumped well, in and created some innovation that everyone hated? Yeah, that's all there is on that area. I mean, the, the concept is, you know, taking the best of what was, you know, the film style editing, which was nonlinear, and combining it with the best of the computer style editing, which was linear. Up to that point. Yeah, well, because basically tape-based, you'd taken the two of those concepts and putting, you know, getting the best of each, and that was the NLE, and 
beyond that, it's like you're just refining. You're not really yeah. creating a new concept. That was an entirely new concept, a yeah. new way to work. Because you couldn't do there was not there was no way to work like that before. No, although Avid would fortunately they tended to crack the nut at the right time. There had certainly been a lot of people trying to do that. Oh yes. And then for the next four or five years, everyone tried to become the, the Avid killer, and, and nobody ever did. Right. Not in the market that Avid is very strong in, in terms of you know gross market share, mm-hmm. all installed NLEs in some sort of professional use. I'm not sure that they're necessarily going to be in the na- major percentage there, but within the markets that they focus on, which is the, yeah, the, the broadcast, the broadcast and, television, yeah. film, studio, film markets, un, undisputed leader there. But is that really the – are they the company that needs to be bringing together all these diverse screens? I don't believe they could pull it off personally because they don't have the resources anymore and, the, and enough creative people to do it. But why it sounds good on paper, and I'm sure it's why the CEO's pimping it until, you know, try to drive the stock up or sell the company or whatever he's, his goal is, um, is because they have the, the, uh, the natural model for it. When you look at the ISIS, Unity, Interplay universe, that that is what Abbott's known for. When you have many people who need to be working on the same material at the same time, that's their strong point. So if you, you know, go further and say, now we want to expand that out to many, many, many people, they are more geared towards that. However, if you look at it, from Apple and the iTunes standpoint, they're more geared for it on a broader level. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I could see where, you know, it, that is a place that people have to go to. And, you know, I, I wouldn't blame Avid for wanting to, you know, make the tools to get there. But, you know, it seems like it's more of a Cisco thing than Avid. I don't know. I well, mean, they know. are already dealing with the companies that are facing the challenge. The big media enterprise is their their primary customer. That's where oh, they that's focus. That's true, yeah. They're in the right place then. And then and they're the people who are being faced with that challenge. Although I suspect from various HPA meetings I've been to that the Avid's customers are a lot further along those paths than Avid itself might be right yes. now. Unless yeah. Avid's got something up its sleeve it's not talking about right now. Um, Which I highly doubt. I was giving the, show, the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're being far too kind. <laughs> I mean, they've just, you know, it's been cutbacks after cutbacks after cutbacks on personnel for so many years now that, I, you know, it's really a bare bones uh, group. And just, I mean, you know, just seeing how long it takes to get so many key bugs fixed tells you how bare bones things are. Which, well, there is a lot to be said for small, nimble groups working rather than large, lumbersome, particularly in the software business. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the Apple model is to keep fairly small, fairly nimble groups working constantly on building something, whereas, say, Microsoft have very large development groups and uh, turn out software a lot less frequently. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it depends but, It depends on the whole picture. That is not the size of the group yeah. alone does not, does not yeah. dictate. You, you need people in there who are innovative yeah. too. Well, That's... 20 people who work in close proximity in the one office building in Cupertino compared with people who are designing something in, in the Boston region and it's, been, it's being actually coded in Middle Eastern company, country. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that Sphere, yes. is, you know, that which is Avid's uh, um, you know, edit anywhere approach, uh, you know, edit anywhere to a central location approach, which works really well for news gathering type situations um, and could – be advanced along, I guess, in this realm is, you know, innovation. They bought a company that gave them some of the technology and then, you know, they went in. We both know the guy (laughs) who kind of was tasked with going into that area and fixing it and came out with Sphere and did it in a pretty quick 
turnaround, you know, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it is possible, but that's innovating one product. That's not innovating an entire universe, which is really what you're talking about in that CEO statement, from what I read anyways, and yeah. what I took away from it. Well, because you've got to, always got to dial down the market speak or marketing speak. Large companies tend to innovate by buying small companies that have actually innovated yeah, and then integrated into their product line or, or position. So if Avid want to go down that path, maybe they're, they'd be looking to buy somebody who has more specialised in, uh, experience in what we generally call transmedia because that's really what we're talking about is this second screen, transmedia, multiple mm-hmm. ways of experiencing the same universe and characters and stories. Well, I'll tell you, I went to um, an – I don't remember what it was billed, but it was, it was a special Avid event uh, and it was mostly network-type people. I don't know how I ended up there. But anyways, I got invited to this thing um, and it was a day of you know various speakers getting up and talking about different stuff in coming technologies. You know, so that's where I first heard about the Aces color space and things like that because it was all newer, budding concepts. But one of the things that one of the speakers really hit on was the multi-screen environment and how important that was going to be in the future. And this is, I don't know, four years ago, three mm-hmm. years ago, something like that. So it's not like Avid hasn't known about this. No. So where, you know, what's what's the what has been their uh, answer to it up until this point? I mean, we saw last year at the HPA Tech Retreat that whole guy doing the, the whole study that they did on the multi-screen environment. So this isn't a new concept. I don't really know why Avid thinks. I guess we need to clarify what's needed there because yeah. I, I think it's just mind-staggeringly difficult to do it properly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> the example, the the examples that are always um, promoted and quoted are such uh, extreme examples. They were done almost as promotional pieces, or mm-hmm. they were done as an experimental piece. They're very, very hard to sustain long-term yeah. and very, very hard to see a return on investment long-term. Yes. And that's what it comes down to. It's the business of entertainment after all. Yes, yeah. You have to figure out how, to, you know, how, do, you, how do you monetize that, which means how do you get the advertisers to pay for yeah, all of and, that. Yeah, and the advertisers have to say, how, and how is this helping um, – Sell my product. Sell my product. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, I, I mean there are ways I can see tying that stuff together, but I don't – you know, it's just – like I said, it's mind-staggeringly difficult to me. It's hard enough to produce a one-hour show weekly, but now not only do you produce that one-hour show weekly, but you've got to produce a ton of extra content that's available only on the web and then synchronize all that with the show somehow and tie monetizing to it. Yeah. It's just – it's – yeah. It's really and, – and, and we're doing all of this based on previous business models. I don't know, you know, I, I, when, when my kids are watching something on a computer or whatever, I don't see them clicking through on ads to go buy something. So I don't know that the future generations are going to, you know, respond to this. Yeah. The one area where Avid does have expertise that's relevant is in the automation of outputs. And they do that with Avid Media Server. They've done a lot oh, for, for Discovery. They've, they've made a lot of – uh, they've taken what – I forget the exact numbers because the seminar I went to was like two or three years ago. So. Uh-huh. Um, but in, but it, would, it was an enormous number of, of people just doing very boring reformatting. Oh, yes. Um, that from, Disney guy who talked – Another yes. Disney guy also. Disney yeah. facing the same sorts of challenges. Yeah. Um, and Avid uh, do have core services that help automate all of that reformatting and bringing together variations mm-hmm. um, probably better than anybody else right now. 
I don't know. I, I mean, what's Netflix model? Because they have, I think it's, I remember reading it's like 27 variations on a file or something like Two that, different, yeah. which is all done automated. And it's QC'd. Yeah. That's the, somebody watches every one of those files and QC's it. I mean, that's an amazing process. That's not a job I'd like. No, I, yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, actually, but, but if you innovate too far, and I'm going to use the example of Final Cut Pro 10, where Apple felt that there was a real need to innovate the editing oh. model, mm-hmm. people freaked out, not to put a too fine a word on it, mm-hmm. um, because it was too different, people said. On the other hand, if you only innovate halfway, one of the interesting things that's come up in Greg's and my world, Greg being my partner in intelligent assistance, um, is that we've had a lot... The real brains. Yeah. (laughs) Not going to contest that. (laughs) Uh, Certainly he writes all the codes. (laughs) Um, So we've had a lot of requests to take for our 10 to 7 product to take not only the project, the edited timeline back from Final Cut Pro 10 back into the old uh, Final Cut Pro 7 Premiere Pro world, Mm -hmm. but increasingly people who want to take an event back, Mm -hmm. which is the logged logged media of some sort. So people have added keyword ranges and sometimes it's been somebody who's uh, taken it upon themselves as a producer to start work and found that in their area there aren't any people with the editing experience that have made the trip, the change to Final Cut 10. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been people like Scott Simmons who said right up uh, right early on the piece said, "Can we have a tool so I can log in ten because it's a great logging tool, mm-hmm. and then take it back to seven and for a lot of reasons tried not to go with that. It's like no, you should start and finish in the same NLE or move forward and leave the past behind in the case of seven to ten. But the demand for ten to seven is increasing, not decreasing. So mm-hmm. we started to say, "All right, well let's bite the bullet and what do we have to do." Well, trying to fit the concepts of Final Cut 10's keyword ranges mm-hmm. into something that actually makes sense and is usable in Final Cut 7 mm-hmm. because of the metaphor difference, it's crazy. It's relatively easy to go from 7 to 10. Because right. you just, you know, there's just... a bin, the clip is, whatever is in that bin, the same media range is put into a keyword collection. Okay. Relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. Going the other way, not so straightforward. Well, it's, I, I can tell you from my universe... Because uh, we had our first Final Cut 10 color correction job come in, and so because they were still working on the show and you know was in and out, we didn't go back. Where I mean, what I would have done is gone back to seven and gone to color. Probably we had to actually do it in ten, and he was pretty much whining about how painful uh, the color correction was in there because it's not the full tool set. No, no, know, no, no. The, ser- the serious color correction tool for Final Cut Pro 10 is called Resolve. Well, that's the thing. So you've <laughs> got to go. So you have to go out. You know, yeah. to so there is a. Um, but didn't you have to go out of media composer into something better, like a symphony? <laughs> well, that's that was still that was still a media composer, just with more features turned on. Which that cat's out of the bag now, since they yeah. don't even try to hide it anymore. Okay, it's a symphony option. Um, but no, the 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 point is that the more you know, you said it earlier. You want to be able to stay within the one environment. That was always the strength, actually, of the Symphony universe was I could do all of these things in the one environment. None of them was – well, early on, the Symphony color corrector was the best in class, but then they let it go. Uh, but none of them is the best tool in class, but they're all in one place, which that there's there's you know an advantage to I don't have to go anywhere else to do any of this stuff. So Final Cut. Uh, seven kind of was building the paradigm where you do a lot in there, and to 
you know, the few things you had to go out for, motion and color, you know, they really kept working on those workflows to make them as effortless as possible. Um, going out, you know, I mean, now with Final Cut 10, you know, there isn't that same degree. That Those infrastructures are not all built up yet. Mm. You know, it's not easy for somebody to go, I, okay, I can easily go out and back to any of these other areas and do what I need to do uh, on a higher-end finishing plane or whatever. And so I think that's a big part of resistance to it until, you know, all of that kind of gets worked out, which, you know, it's going to eventually because if there's enough desire for it, people will do it. Um, I don't know how well the resolve goes back to Final Cut 10? Have you done the round trip on that? I haven't done the round trip on it. I don't even, I don't even know if there is a round trip, to I'm be pretty honest. Sure there's a round, I'm pretty sure there's a round trip because I heard that things change slightly, that if you go from 7 to Resolve, it comes back to 7. You used to be able to go out from 7 to Resolve and out to, say, 10, or okay. from 10 into Resolve, and I believe that now it's whatever you come in, you come back out. So I'm pretty sure there's a return workflow. Uh, I don't know whether what I've just said is true or not. That's just what yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know either. But... Um, uh, it's really one of those arguments that can go on forever. Do you have special, the best-of-breed tools that you use and move between them, or do you try and bring it into one interface that has everything going for it except for it's rarely going to be best-of-breed at any one thing? Well, it's okay to have them as separate things as long as the it's a relatively yeah. seamless workflow. And that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's in place Entirely, it was certainly wasn't at release, which of oh, course, it wasn't immediately everybody's like, "Well, forget it, we can't use this." And so, until they get that to the point where everybody feels that it is there, they're going to be fighting resistance in, in this universe. Yes, not, yeah, yeah, not, yeah, you know, yeah, if you're standalone yeah. and the color corrector in there is good enough, it doesn't matter. You know, it is. It, yeah, it is know. good enough. But I wouldn't. I'm not a, a specialist in in color correction. I'm not grading a, a featurette or a TV show. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that if I was, I'd not be happy with the tools that are in Final Cut that's, Pro 10. Yeah, nor that's what I was Final, hearing. Nor in Final Cut 7. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yes, definitely not in Final Cut 7. So in both yeah. cases, I, yeah. you know, the tools that are in the NLE are good enough mm-hmm. to, to do what a lot of people want to do. But to do the specialized thing, no, no way. And right. Same thing with sound. If you want to actually mix sound, bleh, <laughs> now, now editing yeah. the Terence and Phillips show down, it's actually very, very quick. The couple of times I've I've done the edit, and not your guys, but it's a very, very quick tool for getting for doing that sort of quick cut something out, like tighten it up. Mm-hmm. But it's not an audio mixing tool by any means. That's called Logic Pro Ten, yeah. <laughs> except for the workflow between Final Cut Ten and Logic using the native XML is one of those that needs a lot of extra work on the workflow. It's still better to go by to um, Extra Pro than via Final Cut, Apple's own XML. But as Greg says, the great thing about about um, Logic Pro 10 taking uh, Final Cut Pro 10 XML, somebody within the company now has to eat the dog food. Oh, nice, (laughs) nice. (laughs) Somebody else other than the guys who are actually writing the XML support in Final Cut Pro 10 actually have to use it. Nice. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's, and that's just his opinion because... The, because he has to deal with it. He has to deal <laughs> with it. Um, yeah, so, okay, so, innov- you know, I, I would say that... I don't know that it's so much the innovation that's the problem. I think it's the uh, completely changing the tool set that's the problem. It's equivalent to, um, you know, you a carpenter who's used to swinging a hammer has been doing it for, you know, 30 years and, and knows exactly how to swing a hammer, and all of a sudden you come along and you go, well, we've got this new one, it's lighter, it's made of plastic, and he just can't get the hang of it. And he, or whatever. You know what like, I'm saying? It's like, like you... Like a nail gun when you come along and you, it's like completely different, but it's about 10 times more productive. 
Well, I don't know if that's a direct comparison, but... <laughs> I, 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 it, it depends I, largely on who you feel about Final Cut Pro Tennis. Uh, <laughs> that's a good Yeah, you would have to be. Uh, whether yeah, I mean, I think there is... I think there is... Uh, it, it would be hard to say that you could take an editor cutting a feature or a television show or whatever and all of a sudden have them cut ten times faster. I, yeah, I think I, ten times faster is a little bit... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I doubt they could cut any faster. Now, it may make other parts like the assistant's job easier or something like that, but really when it comes down to decision-making and all that and you know the time that it takes you to craft what you're trying to do, I don't know that we can get that much faster than where the tool interface is at this point anyways, regardless of the interface. I mean, how fast can you make a decision about where you're moving yeah. that shot. I've, I've never been waiting on the Avid to make a decision for him, you know, after I've made it, yeah. except when it goes into autosave or something, which always pisses me off. But uh, I, I don't find myself waiting on it to do that kind of stuff, yeah. So, which is where it would save, where something being more efficient would save time, in other words. So yeah. I don't find that. But certainly, you know, uh, stuff like the background transcoding and uh, maybe the way it's logging or the way you find the media in there, how it's how you can use uh, the keywords for organizing and stuff like that. I just be. find that the, the interface to me just gets out of the way, whereas I found Final Cut 7's interface and and to a degree Media 100 before that and every time I've tried to use Media Composer, but please <laughs> don't take that as any yeah, well, criticism of Media Composer. It's, I'm not familiar enough to be fluid. So Yeah, I'm not. You know, it's like... But uh, Final Cut uh, just feels like it doesn't get in my way. But see, that's the way most most editors that I talk to feel that way with Avid too. But uh, the keyboard editors, I'm talking about the guys yeah, who yeah, really yeah, yeah. fly. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're not they're not the guys who are dragging bins around and opening right. and losing something, dragging a bin around like right. every single media composer demo I've ever seen. Yeah, no, that's not really yeah. how people edit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased to hear. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, it's like I don't do uh, enough flat out just straight editing to be that proficient on the uh, the keyboard yeah. editing you know yeah. i still am mouse and key uh because i'm mostly doing the color correction so yeah. it's different um but but I, i've watched guys they like almost never touch their mouse when they're editing and they're just going flying so i know it's not getting in their way and and again so the, there you're not i don't know that you can innovate anything that helps really in that area other than if we get to the point where it's just direct thought to action well i think <laughs> just taking along, the human motor system along the out of way it. we can probably automate some of the the pre-assembly processes the yeah but that's stuff a lot of that sort of the assistance and yeah. yeah that's that's what i'm saying you that part you can certainly yeah. make easier and everything. the more we make easier for that the more time there's be this off the what the limited time that is going to be available there is the more time to be creative in the stuff that you really do do okay now you know why that's funny why because that'll never happen <laughs> <laughs> it was just like when they told us oh the nle is going to give you uh you're you're going to be able to get so much more done it's so much faster no you just try more variations you need if you have three weeks to do the show it takes three weeks to do the <laughs> show regardless doesn't matter whether you're sitting here cutting it with scissors or you're doing it on an nle you're gonna. It's yeah. three weeks, you know. But if you if you don't spend the first week transcoding and and, and getting it's still going to take three weeks. It's still going to take three weeks, but you've only yeah. got one and a half weeks for actual editorial finesse. Whereas if you can get the train well, get yeah, straight yeah. in and edit from day one, you've got two and a half weeks of editorial finesse. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. I, I've been in both situations. Yeah. Sometimes having a little less time is better. Mm-hmm. There's less opportunity to second guess. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, it was one of the very interesting things from the the last editor's lounge on the Muse, um, was where was the the difference in time between the well, the difference in attitudes between the TV folk and the film folk. Oh yeah, that was interesting, yes, wasn't they, it? They have, 
you know, those that have a week or nine days to cut their episode regardless mm-hmm. and those that have three months to cut of what amounts to two episodes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a whole different process. It's a whole different process and, yeah. and it, it is a whole different process uh, and, and we need to appreciate that, I think, that, that these are not the same thing, that the workflows that will work in, uh, and is desirable for something that's happening in a nine-day cycle are not necessarily what you want if you're going to look at this for three months. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm going to have three months to edit this, yes, I will look at every single frame of everything that I've right. got to look at. <laughs> yes. If yes. I've got nine days to edit this, well, I'm going to do an assemble to the script as quickly as I can and then finesse that down and yeah. talk to the producers and they're going to say do this and that and change everything we thought and make something brand new out of nothing in the next three days. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put the funny in there. Yeah, that's what? for you, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good panel. It was a great panel. Yeah. Um, and it was it, it was one that I wasn't expecting to get a lot out of, so, so I, I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, good. That was an inspiration. That was actually my muse to do the muse. <laughs> I was walking along and I was like, I, I had it was actually I was working on another project and I had a flash on how to solve a scene and then I was like, wait, what do other editors do? You know, how do they deal with this? You know, where does the, what, you know? There's got to be some really cool tip, you know, tricks mm-hmm. that people use to to you know, sort of foster that concept. What I do is I go for walks. That's what I found works really well. Or just totally not think about it. Try to think of something else and then it sort of pops up in the background usually, you know. Well, that almost brings up the topic of innovation in in editing styles because the way stuff is edited now is not the way it was edited 10, 15, 20 years ago and even over time. Yeah. It changes. So where's that innovation come from and how do you get away with it when you've got extremely conservative producers who are or studios who really don't want to do anything different. Music videos. Music videos. Okay. I'm serious. That's what changed everything. MTV changed the editing universe. Huh. Because it would, there's no way anybody would have been able to get away with, you know, all the wacky stuff that was done then, in, you know, like you said, with the conservative people in a television, you know, conservative producers doing television shows, you would never have gotten away with that. On a three-minute music video where you're trying to stand out from everybody else, it's like, go ahead, try anything. And that's where we got, you know... Whip pans, shaky cam, you know, rapid cutting, et cetera, et cetera. All of that came from MTV videos and then worked its way into the popular culture. I remember it was NYPD Blue or whatever when the first – it was LA – I don't know. One of those cop shows that was the first one started using that constant shaky cam stuff. Yeah. Drove me apeshit. You know, they <laughs> they'd, they'd, they'd have the camera on a tripod, you know, and there'd be like two people talking at a table and they'd do this like whip – back and forth between the two of them and then the camera like tries to find this, the person's face into the you know it's like bad camera work right except you know these are professional camera guys these guys could nail you know any move they've been doing it forever and now they're being told to do this wrong because this is the new current style you know anyways mtv that's what i, I that's what i blame prior to that you said it was okay to sit on a shot yeah now if it's three seconds it's like oh my god you're pushing the limits Yep, yep. I count the, the timings on a lot of shows, and three seconds is often pushing the limit on a shot. In, mm-hmm. Certainly in anything reality, three seconds is a really long shot. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, I, it... Well, you burn up so many shots. Well, that's been, that's been the case since day one, that you burn up a lot of shots if you cut it. You say, the more coverage, the better. But you don't have to innovate on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We were talking about innovation. We probably talked about innovation. We... we don't necessarily know that we came to any conclusions about it other than it can be disruptive. Well, the initial question was, Abbott, can they do the innovation? And uh, I'm skeptical because of just the resources and, and the stodginess of the invested base there and whatnot. And, and I don't 
feel from what I've seen so far from the new CEO that he's the kind of visionary that uh, Steve Jobs was. Innovation rarely comes from the established players. Yeah. That's pretty much a truism. Mm-hmm. You know, established players will buy up innovative um, will buy up innovations that come into their area, but rarely does the innovation come from within the company unless it's something like the Xerox Park Labs and nobody spends on pure research anymore. Shareholders don't like it. Yeah, which is too bad. Too bad. That's uh, one of the – that's a whole separate political thing right there. <laughs> one of the biggest issues that's happened in this country is uh, you know, the focus on the, on the immediate quarterly profit instead of the long-term plan. Yeah. It's been the cause of, of a lot of decline. The antithesis of innovation. Yes. Yes. Well, let's wrap this up. Of course, if you want the best in the current finishing technology, come to Alpha Dogs and get your project finished properly. Thank you. And if you want to make your editing life simpler, if you've got any kind of workflow that you you currently have that uh, is not as smooth as you'd like it to be, there's probably already a tool. But if there's not, maybe one could be created for you. Go to intelligentassistance.com and check out the guys who are trying to make your life easier. Thanks for listening.